Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters avino silver and gold mines is a low-cost high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience in 2012 avino resumed production at its historic avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE MX Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, and I'm really, um, today has been one of those days in which uh, emergencies, you know, this is uh, life, this is what happens. Uh, things happen at times, and uh, we were not able to have our primary guest uh, today on with us, but thankfully, Roger Regan is on. Uh, to share some time with me and um, and um, and get his ideas on various things, I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show. Uh, our sponsors are Avino Silver and Gold, Prophecy Platinum, Millrock Resources, and Eurasian Minerals. Well, uh, I mentioned in the first hour of today's show uh, that we were going to play the tapes again, uh, the speeches, the excerpts from the speeches of uh, President Eisenhower, Kennedy. Uh, and Nixon, and the uh, the first speech has to do. It is Eisenhower's warning about the military-industrial 
complex. I'd like you to listen to that. Roger, listen to that. I want to get your comments on it after we, uh, as soon as we finish listening to this speech. So, Justin, can you go ahead and play that, that uh, Eisenhower tape? Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening, my fellow Americans. We now stand ten years past the midpoint of a century that has witnessed four major wars among great nations. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower, president, a general, uh, who saw the horrors of war. I think it's interesting to note that uh, presidents like George W. Bush, who never spent any time in battle and combat, uh, it's easy to tell uh, you know, poor kids from the inner city to go fight for their country. But uh, Eisenhower, of course, was a was a warrior. He was a general, um, and sort of understood the horrors of war. But he also understood, I think, more importantly, what the military-industrial complex can do or could do uh, to our liberty, to our freedom. He talked about the disaster of misplaced power from the military. Now, Roger, I don't hear anybody in the Republican Party, uh, and and not that much from the Democratic Party either. Uh, except for Ron Paul, uh, what, you know, there's there's hardly ever a military bill that these people won't get behind. I mean, there's nothing. I don't know of any of the Republican candidates other than Ron Paul who would ever vote against any military expenditure. Almost. I mean, can you think of anybody? I can't think of anybody, Jay. And it's it's uh, if you really look at it for what it is, uh, it it's a situation where number one, uh, it it's the oil situation, they're looking all over the world in a, in a greedy situation for oil. And number two, the uh, 
the defense industrial complex is a big business in the United States. You're looking at the aerospace companies, the defense industries, the aircraft manufacturers, and all those who make parts and supplies for them. It's a it's an enormous enterprise, and in order to keep it going, they got to have war. Yeah. They've got to have war. They've got to have this stuff built. Uh, and the only way it's going to get used up is, is if they go use it and blow it up and destroy it and then build more. Yeah. The interesting thing is we, we get confused between, as, and Ron Paul has pointed this out, between defense and military. I mean, they're not the same thing. I mean, you can have defense expenditures, but military expenditures automatically get thought of as defense expenditures. And the other point that Ron Paul has made that seems to make a lot of sense, it's not Ron Paul's point, actually, it's the CIA's point, that the reason they came over here is because we're over there. And if you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. Suppose that the Chinese decided they want to set some ships out in the uh, in, in the Gulf of Mexico, and then they send some drones over to pick out people they don't like, maybe some Chinese citizens that are against their, against their country or against their policies. I mean, we would be mad as hell, and we wouldn't take it anymore. So that people are coming over, I mean, that, uh, that we can't even have an open mind about that view from the CIA, uh, it, it's to me it's alarming, and it just suggests that nobody is paying any attention to the warnings of Dwight Eisenhower back in 1961 when he made that speech. Well, we're going to listen next to uh, another warning from uh, the next president of the United States, John Kennedy, and Kennedy warned about the uh, dangers of a secret society to a, uh, to a democracy. Go ahead, Justin, could you play that uh, Kennedy speech, please? Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, 
intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program, for from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people, for I have complete confidence... and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors. For as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, Without criticism, no administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Well, there you have John Kennedy's warnings, which I think of also, much as Dwight Eisenhower's warnings have fallen on deaf ears these days, because... When you think about it, uh, Roger, we don't have time to comment, but when we come back after the break, um, we want to talk about um, you know, you know the, what this means. Well, what is more of a secret society than the Federal Reserve and the way our futures are being planned for us, the way the government is printing money, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got to go to a commercial break now, and when we come back, uh, we are going to, uh, we, we are going to ta- run uh, another speech by Richard Nixon, uh, and uh, and then we'll sum up those three talks, those three speeches, and Roger and I will have some comments. Don't go away. We'll be right back uh, with the Richard Nixon speech.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we just heard the speeches uh, of uh, the very brief excerpts of a part of a speech from President Eisenhower warning about the military-industrial complex, and we heard from John Kennedy worrying, uh, uh, pro- really warning us about the dangers uh, of a secret society, and I said to my partner, Roger Wiegand, who's still with me here, uh, made the comment that what is more secret society than the Federal Reserve, and uh, and how it is really, uh, you know, basically in, uh, indebting us into the future beyond belief with our children and grandchildren. It's printing money, which is really, it's not like it's printing money and showering it out of helicopters 
what we have is a banking system, as, uh, as, as Dr. Schilling reminded us the other day. The, pre- the Fed doesn't print money. It puts money in the banking system. It creates debt, and it finances government debt. It's what it does. And so we are being impoverished into the future for our grandchildren. Well, what made this possible to happen? Uh, may, what, what really empowered the Fed? Yes, the Fed was created in 1913, but what really gave it a big push to allow it to do all these evil things to us, to really hurt the American people, to redistribute wealth from the people that create it, the miners, the manufacturers, the farmers, the inventors, to the people that control the system, the bankers and the politicians who are really stealing wealth from the people that create it. What enabled them to do it more than anything else in my lifetime was in 1971 when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. Uh, Nixon warned, uh, basically told us that don't worry, it's not going to hurt you if we detached the dollar from gold. It's not going to lead to inflation. It's not going to debase the currency. Yeah, you might have to pay a little bit more for things you import, but if you're like most Americans and you live in the United States, it's not going to hurt you very much, if at all. So, and this is really for our good. So we're going to take gold away from the dollar. And, um, yeah, we'll all be better off. So, uh, Justin, can you play Nixon's speech of uh, 1971, August, please? Justin? The third indispensable element in building the new prosperity is closely related to creating new jobs and halting inflation. We must protect the position of the American dollar as a pillar of monetary stability around the world. In the past seven years, there's been an average of one international monetary crisis every year. Now, who gains from these crises? Not the working man, not the investor, not the real producers of wealth. The gainers are the international money speculators. Because they thrive on crises, they help to create them. In recent weeks, the speculators have been waging an all-out war on the American dollar. The strength of a nation's currency is based on the strength of that nation's economy. And the American economy is by far the strongest in the world. Accordingly, I have directed the Secretary of the Treasury to take the action necessary to defend the dollar against the speculators. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets, except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Now, what is this action, which is very technical, what does it mean for you? Let me lay to rest the bugaboo of what is called devaluation. If you want to buy a foreign car or take a trip abroad, market conditions may cause your dollar to buy slightly less. But if you are among the overwhelming majority of Americans who buy American-made products in America, your dollar will be worth just as much tomorrow as it is today. The effect of this action, in other words, will be to stabilize the dollar. Now, this action will not win us any friends among the international money traders. But our primary concern is with the American workers, 
and with fair competition around the world. To our friends abroad, including the many responsible members of the international banking community who are dedicated to stability and the flow of trade, I give this assurance. The United States has always been and will continue to be a forward-looking and trustworthy trading partner. In full cooperation with the International Monetary Fund and those who trade with us, we will press for the necessary reforms to set up an urgently needed new international monetary system. Stability and equal treatment is in everybody's best interest. I am determined that the American dollar must never again be a hostage in the hands of international speculators. I'm taking one further step to protect the dollar, to improve our balance of payments, and to increase jobs for Americans. As a temporary measure, I am today imposing an additional tax of 10% on goods imported into the United States. This is a better solution for international trade than direct controls on the amount of imports. This import tax is a temporary action. It isn't directed against any other country. It's an action to make certain that American products will not be at a disadvantage because of unfair exchange rates. When the unfair treatment is ended, the import tax will end as well. As a result of these actions, the product of American labor will be more competitive, and the unfair edge that some of our foreign competition has will be removed. This is a major reason why our trade balance has eroded over the past 15 years. All right, so that is uh, Richard Nixon uh, taking the dollar off the, uh, taking the gold away from the dollar, detaching gold from the dollar. And that really laid the groundwork for the explosion of debt money that we have today. It laid the groundwork for uh, the enormous amount of redistribution of wealth it empowered the Fed like it has never had never been empowered before because once you uh, allow the Fed to create money out of thin air uh, at will without any constraints without any controls, then the ability to reallocate wealth from those that produce it to those that control it, and the ability to wage wars uh, around the world and for the empire, the American empire, which was never, by the way, uh, ever to be established by the Constitution, for us to wage wars in countries around the world and basically to try to gain control of the world. Uh, it, um, Nixon, I think, in my view, and I, I've said this before, Roger, I've said Nixon was the worst president in my lifetime, not because of Watergate, but because of what he did with the gold standard. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what, what your reaction to that would be. I, I suppose you may have a different view. But clearly, uh, taking the dollar off the gold standard uh, gave the Fed enormous amounts of power and gave the government enormous amounts of power to do to its citizens what it wanted to do. Would you agree? Absolutely, Jay. I totally agree with your view on Nixon. I think that what he did with taking this country off the gold standard was almost as bad as the, as the bursting of the Federal Reserve in 1913. The reason that he did that, uh, according to history, the way I understand it, Charles de Gaulle could see the American uh, printing presses running in 69, 70, and 71. 70 was a recession year, I remember it clearly. And as a result, uh, de Gaulle wanted to get his gold back. Uh, he wanted to call in the notes, so to speak, and say, okay, 
you're going to go ahead and print all these dollars and devalue the dollar. We don't want to hold dollars anymore. We want our gold back. Mm-hmm. And that's what set off Nixon in this whole situation. And from that point forward, uh, you know, Nixon said in his speech that he was going to protect the U.S. dollar no matter what. All you've got to do for a very easy and quick example is a Cadillac car in 1970 was $11,000, and today it costs 50000 There you go. It shows you what happened to your dollar. Well, and that's true. And then Nixon blamed the speculators. Well, actually, the speculators were were doing exactly what they should do. They knew that the dollar was being cheapened by all of this printing to pay for for the war and for socialism. And and de Gaulle did exactly what he should do. He demanded real money instead of the fake stuff that the government was printing. And then Nixon went out and said, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to lead to inflation. Well, it's going to make a stronger dollar. Yeah, right. What happened in the 1970s then was we had the greatest inflation since the Civil War, and the dollar got weaker, not stronger. Its purchasing power eroded, and gold skyrocketed to $850, came back after Paul Volcker put the kibosh on it in 1980 uh, with, this, uh, with, with double-digit interest rates. He cut back the money supply and then allowed us to have growth for about two decades or so before we started running into more trouble. Now we're in big, big trouble. The dollar is being debased again, which is one of the reasons we're going to talk to Keith Schaefer, who's holding on the line after our commercial break. We'll be right back uh, to talk to Keith, who is uh, really specializes in the oil and gas gas uh, business. And this is uh, uh, some revolutionary things taking place there. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger and Keith on the other side of the break. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www. Www.rypatchgold.com
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Turning hard times into good times, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I explained earlier in the show today, uh, it's been one of those days. We had uh, Chuck Baldwin, who is to be our main guest, uh, uh, had an emergency and couldn't make it at the last minute. I uh, was able to get my partner, Roger Wiegand, on, uh, on the phone to talk to us, and Roger's uh, filled in uh, with a lot of, uh, a lot of great insights. Uh, earlier in the day, I had hoped to get on Keith Schaefer uh, to talk to us because I, I just sort of, I've just sort of become aware recently uh, just how big this oil, this shale oil and gas play is in the United States. It has the potential really to revolutionize uh, the energy markets, and I believe that's what's happening. Well, uh, we were able to get Keith on. Uh, he's with us now. Keith Schaefer uh, publishes a newsletter that focuses, I think, primarily on oil and gas. Welcome, she- well, welcome Keith. Thanks, Jay. Glad to be- happy to be here. Well, good to have you. Now, tell our listeners the name of your newsletter and how can they learn more about it. Well, it's called the Oil and Gas Investments Bulletin, and just as you cover much of the junior mining stocks, I cover the junior oil and gas stocks. So they can either just Google uh, the Oil and Gas Investments Bulletin, or the website is uh, oilandgas-investments.com. And I believe that you're going to be in Calgary pretty soon, the Cambridge House Show, which is more more of a focus on oil and gas uh, than mining, or at least it's more than most of the other Cambridge House shows, right? Yes, that's true. One okay. of my biggest shows of the year. Okay. Now, last week we had uh, Rick Rule and Doug Casey on the show, and Rick talked about how Rick and Doug both agreed that they're probably starting to warm up a bit to the uh, to the American equity markets, to, to investing in the U.S. in general. And I uh, wasn't focused right at the time, or we didn't have time to pursue it, uh, the reasons why. And I sent Rick an email, and he came back and said the main reason was because of this revolutionary uh, uh, this revolution in the uh, shale oil and gas uh, space. And we are seeing, and I'm hearing increasingly, how this is really, really, really big. Give our listeners some idea of what the scope of this is, and, and does it have the potential really to uh, to maybe bail out the United States from its current miseries, its current problems, or at least to an extent do so? Oh, Jay, the, the, the revolution that's been happening, the shale revolution, has just meant remarkable things for investors in the last 10 years. Starting about uh, just before the crash in 08, when all the shale gas was getting developed, uh, 
these there were large stocks that just had unbelievable runs as new basin after new basin was discovered. Mm-hmm. And of course, what that meant was at the time gas prices were good, and so these share prices like Continental and uh, Whiting and all these uh, large shale gas plays did wonderful things for investors. And of course, what's happened now is is kind of just the opposite. They've been so effective at finding so much shale gas in the United States that of course the prices collapsed and uh but there's always a, a silver lining to every cloud and and you talk about how this might help America and the petrochemical industry is now repatriating billions and billions of dollars of economic activity from around the world from Malaysia, Chile, Asia back into the United States because the feedstock low gas prices, low natural gas prices brought about directly because of this new shale revolution is bringing a lot of economic activity back into the continental U.S. So you talk about how is this helping America. That, that's one very positive way that the end users of natural gas are repatriating billions of dollars. Well, that's, that's very interesting. I know I was listening to Bloomberg uh, Radio the other day, and they were talking about how uh, in the town where I was born, Canton, Ohio, uh, which has really fallen on hard times in the last couple of decades. They were starting, I think, a steel mill uh, just to just to just to manufacture the pipes that are being used uh, in these deep drilling uh, uh, projects. And I understand, Keith, that they go down a mile and then they can go a mile across with the horizontal drilling. Uh, the horizontal drilling is part of it. It's also some new fracking technologies. Is that right? That's that's really allowing the uh, the uh, the recovery of, of oil and gas from these shale formations? You know, Jay, it's really a combination of two old technologies. Hydraulic fracturing, which we call fracking, and horizontal drilling have both been around for 50, 60 years. Mm -hmm. And thousands, literally thousands of wells have been drilled using these technologies. But it was just here in the late 90s when Mitchell Energy down in the Barnett Shale in Texas was able to kind of put the two of them together in the right way where all of a sudden... They were able to break up the shale rock, liberate the oil and gas, and get it up the well bore really efficiently. Mm-hmm. So that, that took quite a bit of research, but they were able to do it. And, of course, that technology has now just spread like wildfire. You're, you're seeing so many basins, not just in Texas, but in Louisiana, Oklahoma. Uh, now the, the, the granddaddy of them all is the Marcellus Shale in New York, Pennsylvania, and the Utica Shale in Ohio. So all this new activity, and like you said, the, what, what that has meant is the drilling, the amount of drilling that's getting done is going through the roof, and all that means a lot of new steel. So that's you, your, the example you just brought up was great. So again, an, another great example of how all this shale gas is spurring on huge amounts of economic activity in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And if we're getting repatriation of dollars, could that then mean uh, some strength to the dollar, I suppose? Um. I wouldn't go that far, Jay. <laughs> but I think, I, I think, as you've said on your show many times, you know, the, the, the dollar just seems to be heading lower. But uh, I, I think it, it certainly will. It, what it means is a lot of jobs for Americans. You look at North Dakota, where the Bakken shale oil deposit is. There's a reason that North Dakota has the lowest unemployment rate in the U.S. at 3.3%. It's because of all the oil workers, uh, and there's just unbelievable jobs. They're high-paying jobs. Even the service economy there is being forced to pay crazy wages to attract people. 
Okay, Keith, how do you best play this then? Uh, you mentioned the drilling. Obviously, you know, the, the gas prices themselves aren't that great. Are, are companies that are recovering natural gas making money now? Uh, the, the natural gas producers, Jay, are absolutely not making money, and you're starting to see finally the pain of low prices set in where Chesapeake and other large companies are starting to shut gas production in, mm-hmm. which is not an easy decision because that changes the reservoir characteristics. You don't know if it's going to produce again at the same rate when you when you open it up again when prices recover. But right now, the the, the big way to play a lot of this energy sector is through the drillers, absolutely, through the service companies. Now, the mining sector doesn't really have a services sector, but the oil and gas group does, and there's dozens of companies that are out there that do a lot of really good work. Uh, I I mostly follow the the Canadian companies, but some of them that have a lot of work in the United States are companies like Extreme Coil. that uh, They're out of Houston, and they have a, a special type of drilling called coil tubing. Also, the junior producers in the Bakken, I just think there's a lot of great stories there that are uh, will still develop. One of my favorites is a company called Triangle Petroleum, TPLM, on the NASDAQ, and they have about 30,000 acres in the core of the Bakken and about another 40,000, 50,000 acres on the edge of it that uh, look quite prospective. So that, that would be one of my favorite places to guide investors to. That they don't produce at the present time, right? Yes, they do. They, they produce uh, just over 1,000 barrels a day, and they should probably triple that by year-end. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, And they're making money. And they're making money. Yeah. Any dividends or, or not? I guess they're a junior. No, no. These, the, the, too junior for the dividends. And, yeah. and realistically, Jay, they'll probably get bought out, but you never know. Mm-hmm. So you'd play that for a for a buyout or a growth story, I guess, one way or the other, huh? Growth story first, buyout second. Yeah. Um, what about? Um, so, are there some other drilling companies that, that you like? I mean, is, is that uh, there was one in Calgary? I can't remember the name. It was one that Chen Lin had on his list some time ago. Um, any other? Uh, what about some of the big drilling companies that we know of in the U.S.? Are they uh, are they involved in this? They are, and you know what? What I think is interesting right now is that the, the 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 drilling stocks have all had a big pause. Their their charts in Canada are slowly starting to break out, but in the U.S. they're not breaking out just yet because everyone's now that Chesapeake and all these gas companies have said we're going to cut back on our gas production. The market's just waiting to see what the fallout of that is with these drillers. Which drillers are going to lose rigs? Which drillers are going to get shut down? So right now the market is in a bit of a state of flux. So I, I'm not too keen on jumping into any drillers just yet, but I think the time is coming probably within the next two to three months when the market decides who the winners and who the losers are going to be in this fairly dramatic cutback in the amount of drilling on the, on the gas side is going to be. And, that, and then that would be the time for investors to really look at jumping into that space. Yeah, when they get really depressed. Is there some possibility that... Uh that this could be, you know, that, the, that these energy products can be exported uh, by the United States and, and help us with our balance of, tr- of payments. Oh, yes, you're, al- you're already seeing that in spades. And, and what's happened here is that along with regular natural gas, there's this new type of deposit that's being developed with the, the horizontal drilling and fracking called natural gas liquids. So that's, those are products like butane that goes into your Bic lighter, uh, propane that goes into your barbecue. And there's three or four other liquids that are like that 
pentane, which is used as, as a fuel source. In fact, pentane is often more expensive than oil. So these natural gas liquids are being found in huge amounts around these shale gas plays, and we are exporting a lot of those to Latin America. Okay, Keith, uh, I, I want to get you back on sometime soon. Uh, we can talk more about this because I think this is a very exciting space. I want to learn more about uh, about this uh, potential because I think this is a real a real growth area for the U.S. And I think, obviously, with with cheap natural gas, you got to wonder, you know, how long it's going to be before we start running vehicles on natural gas and so forth. But uh, we we do have to go to a commercial break now. Keith, we'll have you back sometime in the near future. I think I'm going to see you up in Calgary. Uh, in in a few weeks, so uh, we can talk more then and then uh, arrange to have you back on the show sometime in the near future. Jay, God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Keith. Folks, don't go away. Uh, I'm going to be right back with Roger Wiegan, and also Ellis Martin will be joining me. He's going to be uh, with us. I'm going to introduce you to uh, Ellis to you uh, today. He is also a host on another Voice America show, so don't go away. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. American Bonanza Gold's Copperstone Project, located in Arizona, is on track for a fourth quarter 2011 mine and startup process with the goal of achieving full production by the end of the year 2011. American Bonanza is fully funded and permitted with no debit or hedge. The company has a clear strategy to create a highly profitable, mid-tier gold-producing company beginning in fourth quarter 2011. Join the current gold bull market. Be a part of a new gold producer in 2011. American Bonanza Gold Corp. Visit the website at American bonanza.com for more exciting information don't miss this great opportunity American Manganese Incorporated controls the largest deposit of manganese in the southwest United States, and their 43101 preliminary economic evaluation includes the potential to be the lowest cost producer of electrolytic manganese in the world. A National Instrument 43101 report of 13.8 billion pounds of indicated and 3.5 billion pounds inferred. Go to www.americanmanganeseinc.com. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host Jay Taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. That's questions 
the number four, Taylor, at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I've got uh, Roger Wiegand is with me again. Uh, and I'm also going to introduce to you just in a, in a couple of minutes a friend of mine, Ellis Martin, who is also a host of another show on the Voice America Business Channel. Roger, um, there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, we did uh, listen to those speeches from former presidents. Uh, but we, so we never got around to talking about the equity markets and the markets in general. What uh, I, I noted at the start of the show that we're bumping up against a long-term trend, as Robert Prechter pointed out in his uh, most recent newsletter, an 80-year trend. And, you know, it was uh, from the high 1200s to the low 1300s uh, through this month. Um, you know, do you think we can get through this long-term trend, Roger? Uh, and if so, when, uh, you know, how long might it last? I think we can get through the trend, but I think we're pretty peaky right now, Jay. Uh, the S&Ps are at 1360, 1350 support, 14 is, is resistance. We're real close in that, in those numbers. Also, the Dow Jones has got a similar situation. Uh, it's right at the top. A couple things can happen. We can either go sideways and then go up in a few more days, or we can go sideways and then get what I would see more likely, a gentle um, pullback, and then from there go sideways and then go up again. I think for the longer pull, by that I'm saying uh, 60, 90 days, the equity markets are going higher. And I also think that in the gold part of it, uh, with uh, crude oil leading the way, we're looking at a big push for commodities between now and, and the end of April with one or two corrections in the middle. Mm-hmm. So you're uh, looking at um, sell in May and go away again? Is that sort of the time frame? Exactly. Uh, probably the end of uh, April. Prechter, of course, is the perma. Well, that's not. It's not fair to say he's a perma bull because honestly, after Lehman Brothers, he came out and suggested that people should buy stocks, and they would have done very, very well. So, it's not that he is a perma perma bear, but he's he you know he is extremely bearish. He's looking for a Dow that ultimately bottoms below a thousand, um, and he believes that it, that there's a good chance we won't get through this uptrend line, and that that the next leg down. The next major move down is going to be is going to be horrendously sharp on the downside. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, I agree with him on a sharp correction, but I just don't see it right now, Jay. I'm looking for it in the fourth quarter. Uh, last year, we had positions, long positions on a lot of our favorites, and they, we were up over 300% for nine months, and we ended up at 22% for the year. I'm talking futures and commodities now. And what we're seeing this year is, uh, a solid trend in stocks and in commodities, both probably all the way through April. And here we are uh, near the end of February now, so we've got a couple of months yet where we could make some money. Now, keep in mind that the uh, the equity uh, equity part of it uh, could go sideways and just levitate around those highs near where we are now mm-hmm. and, and go into a trading channel and um, then sell back a little and try to go through again. If it did that, then you would see a double top, and then that would that's bearish, and then down we go. Mm-hmm. But I don't see any a major crash or big uh, problem with stocks or commodities all the way to June, but rather I would see normal corrections on cycles. Mm-hmm. Now, I, yeah, later summer and into the fourth quarter of next year, 
uh, I'm very wary. I'm very concerned. I think that I agree with Prechter uh, in the fourth quarter. We could get a haircut on the Dow 50% or more. Well, that would be more than a haircut. That would be a bit of a scalping, I would suggest. Well, anyway, for now, at least rest easy, or never rest easy in this market, but at least you uh, you have a sense that we can make some money. I know my other partner, Chen Lin, feels the same way as well. Uh, we've only got four minutes to close, and I want to introduce to my listeners Ellis Martin. Ellis is another uh, is a host of another show on the Voice of America Business Channel. Ellis, uh, what is the name of your show? And I believe you're on right before this one. Is that right? We're on Tuesdays at a, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern. Jay, and thanks for having me on the program. The name of the show is called The Ellis Martin Report, and uh, I'm privileged. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be on right in front of uh, the master here. Well, it's good to have you on. You're, you're the master. Uh, you've been a radio guy for a long, long time, and I look forward to working with you from time to time and maybe uh, having you pick up on this uh, on this show for me once in a while, pinch hit for me, perhaps when I'm when I'm traveling. But uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your show. What do you try to do with your show? Well, basically, we offer it as a resource for primarily resource companies to showcase themselves to our audience of potential retail investors and those institutionally that listen to the show. And aside from that, uh, much like you, we interview analysts and experts, people that know a lot more about the business than I do. Uh, my background's in uh, traditional uh, news media and entertainment media, and I came into this sector and this business about 14 years ago, ago when uh, I started realizing that precious metals were where it's at. <laughs> now, you've been doing radio, though, for a long time. Give our listeners a little sense of, of you know, what you've done in the radio space. Well, I started off in upstate New York, not far from where you're at right now, in a city called Newburgh in 1970 as a radio radio engineer. And then I moved into uh, uh, hosting and and programming several radio stations in the southwest and uh, taught radio out here in California for a long time. And basically, uh, I was uh, I was super employable, which means I worked at too many radio stations, kept getting fired all the time. Uh, I had disagreements with management. I don't know why. So I uh, all I can do is is I'm unemployable outside of radio. So uh, basically, I, I I took an interest in in precious metals, gold, silver, stocks, uh, anything that was because I could see where you can really make some money here, and nobody could fire me if I was working for myself. So I have many many different bosses, many employers, and what we do on the show is we just attempt to give. Uh, decent companies, uh, an avenue to talk about themselves and and people such as yourself. Hopefully, uh, we're going to have you on the show next week, which will be fun. Uh, okay. A chance to just you know talk about what their passion is, what's on their mind, what's exciting, and how can we all make money. All right, sounds like a good plan. Uh, we're going to be talking to you some more, uh, Ellis, and uh, I do have to wind this down because I see my engineers telling me I only have a minute left. So thanks uh, to both of you, Roger, and to Ellis for coming on. We'll have you back again sometime soon. Just with respect to next week, our special guest will be once again Dr. John Coleman. He's the author of several books, including the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations and the Committee of 300. And my desire to talk to Dr. Coleman is really to try to understand who the powers behind the throne are. We continue to hit this subject day, uh, week in and week out, 
it's a main uh, area of conversation in this show. It's very important to understand who your masters are, and that's what we're trying to find out. Uh, in closing, I want to thank uh, my uh, executive producer, Tacey Trump, and my engineer, Justin Jackman, for making this show uh, logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening to the show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.